Paul warns us against irresponsible behavior. Now, that's a very good thing to look at today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to check it out. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemmer. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, a program taking you through the Bible in one year from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22. Ryan is here. Ryan, what's going on? Well, today we're going to be considering a passage from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that will help us better understand the Old Testament account of the 10 plagues brought upon Egypt. Very good. Look forward to that. Janice? Today my segment is, What Can I Do? All right. Very good. Also, Richard Fangrad is here from Creation Ministries International. We're going to talk with him. How are you doing, Richard? Doing well. Glad to be here. Good. We'll talk to him in about 25 minutes. Right now, get your Bible out. Let's open it up and see what God says. And let's listen to the Word of God as we look at the Bible Guide and study 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is a good, responsible passage to look at today. Second Thessalonians 3, 6-15 But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our words in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet, do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. This is an interesting read today. You know, the church has marked many spaces, many places in Scripture, such as Matthew 18, for example, on how to handle heated disagreements and confrontations among brothers and sisters in Christ. But what happens when we go too far? There is no perfect answer for how to handle a conflict in the church without the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God, which can gain the heart of those who are serious, in serious disagreement with each other, but in agreement with God. Now, Paul has to deal with this when writing to the church at Thessaloniki. Paul speaks as the Holy Spirit directed him, but do we pay attention to what the Holy Spirit said? When we read the scriptures with an open heart to God's Holy Spirit, and we don't let our own ideas interfere 
The passages begin to teach us and help us to resolve our conflicts and things begin to change. And change is not always easy, is it? Change is sometimes hard. Sometimes we like things going in the direction they're going because we want them that way. But change, according to the Holy Spirit, is always growth. And that's interesting. And so as we focus on today's passage, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 15, this is going to be really interesting. Serious disagreements. So if you're in a disagreement with somebody in a church, if you're in a disagreement with some brother or sister, this would be a good time to listen because God is speaking to us. Take your Bible guide and turn to that particular section today. If you don't have a Bible guide, call us or write to us and we'll send you one. Or you can go to Bible Discovery TV and click on the Bible guide. Then it'll take you to a donate page. And I would say thank you so much for your donations. We understand that you have to make decisions these days. And so thank you for making the decision to support us and keep us strong, keep us going here as we pay for the airtime and the production and everything else of this particular program. Nevertheless, let's pray. Father, help us. Because the name of this is Serious Disagreements. And we have some between us and other people who love you. Now, when people come to you who love you with serious disagreements, we're coming to you as the counselor because you are the one who makes it straight, makes us right, whatever we are, or makes us righted from our presumed wrongs. Help us today, Lord, to hear you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen, and make it so. All right. As we look at this, let's think about the scripture because it's important. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and does not according to the tradition which he received from us. Fascinating. Paul warns against irresponsible behavior as a Christ follower or Christian. As Christ followers, beloved, we should not promote irresponsible behavior or fellowship with believers. Fellowship is not friendship. It's more than friendship with believers who persist in doing so. We don't like to resist people and come against people just for the sake of rebelling or being in a... Hold on a minute. Let's understand what God desires us to do. Are we thinking wrong? Is something wrong the way we're processing? We come to the Lord and we say, Lord, help me to understand and realize what's going on. You know, today in the news, we hear a lot of people coming against, you know, establishment and everything big. And there's people all over the world walking in streets and holding signs. But but we need to think this through. We need to understand, Father, help us to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. And this is something that we need to get in our heart and in our mind, beloved. We need to know that. So let's go back to the scripture. He says in verse 7, For you, you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. 
not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Now, this is fascinating, beloved. Paul set an example by working to provide for his own needs rather than to be a burden. We should not, or we should not avoid work or take advantage of others. Beloved, we are created, and I, I say that word beloved, copying the apostles of the church because they're the ones that commanded us. Beloved means you're loved of God. We should understand that God created us to work. He did. He created us to work to live. And beloved, we need to work. We need to make sure that we do our best to provide what we have so that we can be not a burden to society. Beloved, we are not a burden to society. That's very important as Christians or Christ followers. Which leads me to the next point as we go along in chapter 3, verse 11. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but they are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing well. Do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle or this teaching, note that the person or note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. That's important. The third point, Paul encourages the Thessalonians not to grow weary in doing good. As Christians, we should be responsible in our work, not taking advantage of others, but living in service to God. We need to live in service to God. So there may be conflicts with people. And my question is, are you a burden to somebody else or society? Beloved, we don't need to be a burden. We are called to work for our work, work for our food, and we're called to do these things carefully so that the Lord helps us to stand strong in this time. And this is a very tumultuous time. And so, Father, I pray today that as we look at the world around us and as we understand what's happening, I pray that you would open up opportunities to share our faith our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives and show us, Father, today how to be the best witnesses in this time. And Lord, we do pray this, come back quickly. Come back quickly, Lord, because time is running out and help us to bring people to you on this day, people who are interested in life changes. Help us to talk to them today.
Today, our assigned reading is the book of 2 Thessalonians. Now, it's only three chapters long, but it's a very, very important letter. And today I want to focus in on one particular part of that letter, and it's 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 through 12. And you know, this is a key passage in helping us to understand the extent of Satan's power, because here Paul calls out Satan's signs and wonders as counterfeit or false. In other words, they're not real, but deception. Uh, perhaps similar to the tricks that modern illusionists perform. This is a very important consideration as we read the Bible. As just one example, consider the showdown between Pharaoh and Moses in the book of Exodus, where God brought ten plagues on Egypt. Now, interestingly, Egypt's magicians were able to somehow mimic some of these plagues. And the big question is, were they demonically powered feats, or were they merely illusions and tricks? Well, to help me with this study, I also turned to professional illusionist Andre Cole, who was formerly creative consultant to David Copperfield. Significantly, early in his career, Cole actually set out to disprove the miracles of Jesus Christ, but simply couldn't do it, and as a result, ended up giving his life to Christ. So I ask you to first and foremost consider what the Bible says in regard to the extent of Satan's power, and also to consider the very unique perspective of Andre Cole in regards to this subject as well. Exodus chapters 7 through 12 document the dramatic showdown between Pharaoh and Moses, between Egypt's false gods and the living God Almighty, who demanded that they let my people go. What followed was a series of ten plagues, some of which the Egyptians seemed to be able to duplicate. Though some concede that the acts performed by the Egyptian practitioners were supernatural satanic acts, others believe that they were nothing more than illusions and tricks. For example, famous illusionist Andre Cole, who also served as David Copperfield's creative consultant, says that most individuals are not aware of what those trained in the art of illusion can accomplish. I have no doubt that the illusions performed by 20th century magicians would baffle ancient practitioners. Changing a stick to a snake is child's play when one considers that modern-day magicians cause elephants to vanish and appear. The problem, he says, is that if Satan and demons can perform miracles, the argument of miracles as an apologetic for the deity of Christ must be considered worthless. Jesus himself said, If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. Regarding the extent of Satan's power, the Apostle Paul wrote, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. Notice that none of these great signs and wonders are real. All of them are deception only, or as Paul qualifies, lie signs and lie wonders. This is the extent of Satan's power. Interestingly, the Bible uses the expression secret arts to describe the acts of the Egyptian practitioners, which, says F.C. Cook, is ambiguous. It may come from a word meaning flame, or from another meaning conceal. In either case, it implies a deceptive appearance, an illusion, a juggler's trick, not an actual putting forth of magical power. Also, says Cole, the response of the Egyptian magicians after the plague of gnats, that this is the finger of God, lends weight to the argument that their previous works were only tricks, and that they knew the difficulty in performing a trick with such a small entity, a trick which they were incapable of. If Satan could turn a stick into a snake and bring up frogs, he certainly should have been able to produce the less complex life form. 
to teach that Satan was able to take a dead stick and change it into a living serpent, or that the magicians could change water into life-giving blood, is to teach that Satan has the ability to create life. However, as a being created by God, Satan has neither power to create anything out of nothing, nor life out of anything. The Bible clearly teaches that God alone is the creator. Now, interestingly, like Andre Cole, the Jewish historian Josephus also believed that the Egyptian magicians were performing illusions, and 2 Thessalonians 2 seems to confirm that conclusion. That said, there are a lot of good Christians who do believe that the Egyptians were performing supernatural acts through demonic forces, and maybe they're right. But from the research that I've done, I believe that God's signs and wonders were legitimate, while those of the Egyptians were illegitimate. But as I always say here on the program, do your own study because studying God's word is always edifying. It's interesting, Ryan, to, to listen to and to see that passage and listen to what the Lord does uh, because they get so far and they can't do the miracles that God is doing. And all of those miracles dealt with the gods they worshiped. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, very, very God was showing them who really was God. In fact, he was. Yeah. And uh, th that story continues to resonate throughout the history of Israel. So that's really something. Mm. Very good. Good report. Jen? Well, I titled this, What Can I Do? Because I was taking a look at um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and Paul starts out, pray for us. He's saying, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. Now, I can't run swiftly. I'm not a swift runner. But there are things that I can do because Paul goes on later on to talk about not being lazy, not not um, living in idleness all the time. And I think it's a really good reminder. This is where I went anyway with this portion of scripture for you and I today to remember that as the church, we are not to be idle. We are not to be focused on ourselves. And I think one of the things that has happened in the last couple of years with COVID is that we have kind of reverted inwards, haven't we? Instead of doing what God calls us to do and love others. And so I took this as a reminder for all of us to step up. Now, I don't mean that you are, because Paul talks about being burdensome that he worked for his bread, that he worked so that they weren't burdened by him. Now, some of you may take that to heart. I can't go out to work. I'm housebound. You know what? That's okay. There are different seasons in our life. But as somebody even who is housebound, or maybe you're retired, you can still be involved in the work of the Lord. You can be that person who's the prayer warrior for somebody. You can be that person, if you don't go to a job, can drive somebody to help or just get their groceries for them, get their list and, and go to the grocery store and get that. You can be somebody in the church that will clean up or be a greeter at the door. There are so many things that we can do and we need to do that. We need to put ourselves out there. Paul also says at the beginning of that, before he talks about, don't be lazy and don't be irresponsible. He says, and we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Here's the verse I meant to read. <laughs> it's uh, verse three. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Don't be afraid to gather in fellowship with one another. God is our source. God is our provider. And he has asked us to love one another 
and to serve one another. Let's do that. Very good. That's excellent. Uh, one of the ways that we do that is through fellowship and mm -hmm. through the church and yes. all of that. We've talked a lot about that. Richard Van Grad is somebody from Creation Ministries International Canada. And welcome, Richard. Thanks. Thank you for having me on the show. It's nice to be back in the studio <laughs> well, that I knew you. so well from years ago. So and good you, to have you. You do a regular program called yes. Creation Ministries International or Creation Magazine. Creation actually. Magazine Live. Yeah. yeah. And so you do that and you finish your eighth season and you're doing your ninth right We're now. Into the, in the ninth. Yeah. So people yep. may recognize you <laughs> on television because, you know, they, you do these uh, programs and that's great. And they may see you on the Internet. But uh, you're in Canada let me ask a question because a lot of people wouldn't know, but are you married? Yes. Do you have kids? Yes. So what's your wife's name? <laughs> Karen. Okay. And you've been married how long? 21 years. Oh my goodness. And you have how many kids? Five. Oh my goodness. And so what are their ages? <laughs> 20, 18, 14, 12, and eight. Oh man. Isn't that great? That is That's awesome. Wonderful. Four girls and a boy. The boy is the youngest. That's yeah. great. And you got a built-in so. babysitter. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, four of them. Very good. Uh, and we first met Richard when his oldest was one. I know. She was only one. We have a history. We have a history. It goes back a ways. It's yeah. so wonderful. I think uh, one of the things that uh, we did, I think it was 2002 or 2003. 2003. 2003, if, if you came you're through You're going to say church. what I think you're going to say, yeah. Yeah, and, <laughs> and uh, we invited you to come into the church, and you did a presentation for us. It was awesome, mm -hmm. absolutely awesome. And um, I, I just wanted to, so that you've been with Creation Ministries International for a long time. I mean, that's a long time. Were you, how long were you before you came to us? Well, since the, since the mid-'90s, really, 94, I got involved at the board level in 95, and at that time it was just a provincial, sort of a creation club. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then we were asked by sort of the, one of the co-founders of the ministry, Dr. Carl Whelan from Australia in Brisbane, that's kind of the founding office, if our group in Ontario would become the Canadian national office of what is now called Creation Ministries International. And we thought about it as a board for about two seconds and said, okay. Um, <laughs> Did you expect them to choose you as the... Well, we, there was already a, a pre-existing relationship. We were the distributors in Canada for Creation Magazine at that time, our, our Ontario group. And so there was already established, there was an established relationship there already. So no, it wasn't surprising. So you took over and uh, you've been running that ministry ever since. And that's, that's absolutely amazing. So let me ask you this question because a lot of people don't know this as well, but where did you go to school? I went to Conestoga College for electronics. So you're an electronics Not, guy. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about that. When you well, well let, me, let me let me come back here. We've got a few minutes here. Let me come back to this. How did Jesus Christ become more than just a name to you? Well, I grew up in the church. I I don't have like an atheistic background. Wonderful Christian parents. In and, Ontario. Uh, in Ontario. Yeah, I I was born in Kitchener, Ontario. Lived there all my life. I've traveled extensively, but I haven't, I haven't moved beyond the Kitchener uh, boundary. But uh, so kind of gone to church my whole life type of thing. And uh, it was July 10th of 1979. I was 10 years old, so do the math. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I made a commitment to Christ at a boys camp, Christian service brigade, mm. around a campfire one evening, there was an invitation given, I responded. 
Um, but th that's an interesting question because it doesn't really have an easy answer, even to me this day. Uh, I didn't see any real fruit from that conversion until I was about 23, when I started reading books by Josh McDowell and other apologetics books that gave a defense, a reasoned defense, an apologia for the Christian faith. Evidence demands a verdict. That's Josh McDowell. Yes, yes, so those, those kinds of books. That's yeah. 13 years after you responded. It's 13 to years, yeah, yeah. That's incredible. So tell us about that. When you responded to the Lord, first of all, were you married at that time? No. Okay, no. I mean, so you got married after you were 23? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. But at, at that point, I noticed a change in my life, and so did others. What was um, the change? The change was I suddenly had a desire to know more about Scripture and know more about God. You know, so your that, desire for knowing what God said yes. became intensified. And just d desire for Scripture. Oh, what, the, the, the Bible's really real? Like it's true? And yes, it is. You know, even in those difficult parts like Genesis and, and that, that became a study then after Josh McDowell's stuff uh, often focuses on the resurrection, evidences for the resurrection and that kind of thing. And those were, were very compelling. And then, and then just, I just, I just got into scripture. So the, the study of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, the two stories of God's creation, um, that, that, how did you think about that when you first read it? I didn't. I, I, I remember I went to college, started in the workforce, and the, the, some of the other guys I worked with there, they knew I was a Christian. I don't know how. I wasn't advertising it. Uh, I didn't have, have the fruit there at that point. And, uh, and they knew somehow. One of the guys I remember said, well, what about, did God use the Big Bang? Maybe God used the Big Bang. God okay, created light. Stop you right know. there. Did, did God use the Big Bang? We're going to pick that up on the next program. So okay. all your friends, Good talk to all yeah. the people you know. Uh, Richard is going to be back. He's going to tell us the answer to that question. It's a fascinating answer. And so in the meantime, he's with us uh, for seven days. It's good to have him here. But let's get back to praying for the requests that people have written in. And here it is. Watch him. I want to remind you that three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30, we have a live prayer meeting on Facebook, YouTube, and Bible Discovery TV. I want to invite you to join us and we can pray for you as we apply ourselves to listening to the Lord. Today, we need to pray and Father, I choose to follow your way. Help me always to do that and help me to learn what that means in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.